Today's show is brought to you by KiwiCo. Are you stumped on what to give the kids in your life this holiday season? KiwiCo creates super cool, hands-on projects for kids of all ages that make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math fun. And I want to tell you, friends, I use KiwiCo for my grandkids. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free, just in time for the holidays. To redeem this offer and learn more, visit kiwico.com slash meg. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash meg. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Little Passports. Little Passports is the perfect holiday gift for that curious kid on your list. With a subscription to Little Passports, kids get a fun-filled package each month designed to inspire their curiosity in geography, world cultures, or science. Little Passports is great for kids of all ages. I have grandkids ages 5 down to 1 year of age, and the older kids love it. They get a little suitcase in the mail and all of these wonderful things that will teach them about geography and science and all sorts of fun things. Order today for holiday delivery at littlepassports.com slash meg. That's littlepassports.com slash meg. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 70, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is author, preacher, and speaker, Max Lucado. As one of America's most popular Christian writers, Max Lucado has touched millions of readers with his powerful and insightful storytelling. He's the author of more than 60 books, including his latest book, Unshakable Hope, Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. Max is currently serving as a preaching minister of Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas. He's married to his wife, Denalyn, and they have three grown daughters, two sons-in-law, and two grandchildren. As always in this episode, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. And parents, don't just download the episodes, click subscribe. Because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution, and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. I promise you won't regret it. And remember, we'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcasts, subscribe today and don't miss a single episode. And remember, friends, if you haven't checked it out already, Go to my website, megmeekermd.com, and check out my brand new course on discipline. It's awesome. Discipline with courage and kindness. There is tons of information, lots of questions I answer about certain discipline issues that you'll be having with your kids, no matter what their age. I really encourage you to check it out. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 70. Stay with us. 
friends, I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Max Lucado. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, my guest today is author and pastor Max Lucado. Max, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Meg. It's, a, it's my honor. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. You have a wonderful book, Unshakable Hope. And I think that the timing of your book is really extraordinary. You know, everyone knows that our country is divided. Many churches are struggling. And it seems that many people have drifted from God and sort of wondering, is he there? And if so, is he really going to help me? Tell me why you wrote Unshakable Hope now. I think your finger on the pulse of the society we live in is giving you an accurate read. It does seem uh, that uh, hope is in short supply. Uh, and the the inability of people to really relate to each other, communicate on a, a rational level is, is increasingly uh, rare, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this, this idea of, of finding hope uh, really resonated with me. It really emerged uh, out of some conversations I had with parishioners who were passing through really ser- serious times of difficulty, and and they just seemed like they uh, had well, they were hopeless. They, they, yeah. you know, I'm not going to get through it, and and so I, I uh, that usually triggers in me thoughts that well, I need to, what can we do as a church? Uh, how can we address this? And so I, I thought I'd like to do a series on hope, uh, but I'd like to do a series of sermons based on uh, the the promises of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I started working on it. And usually, Meg, my uh, my my books come out of sermons, not always, but usually. And in this case, it did. I, I felt like the the sermon series are really connected with people. Uh, the big idea in the sermon series and then in the book is is instead of building your life on the circumstances or problems of life, I try to build your life on promises. And uh, and that resonated with folks. And uh, I'm hoping that, that this uh, new book, this new book does the same. Well, I think that it's really in understanding the promises of God, believing the promises of God, that gives us hope. You write in your book that there are over 7,000 promises that God gives us. And, you know, I don't, I don't hear much about God's promises, you know, in church, you know, in reading Christian books. It just seems like we don't hear about God's promises. Why do you think that is? Well, I think you're right. I think that we don't. And in, in fact, I thought, uh, when I started the sermon series, I thought, well, I'm sure there's a lot of books out there on on the different promises of God, and what there seems to be an abundance of, and and is a, a, a quarry of books that list all the promises, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and categorize them according to different needs, and that's wonderful. There's there does not seem to be uh, quite a few books, an abundance of books, urging people to to get very acquainted with the promises, uh, to learn to practice the promises, internalize the promises, and to pray the promises. Uh, and so I, I thought, well, there's a need here. We have this astounding cache of, of promises in the Bible, uh, over 7,000, like you said. Uh, but what good are they doing us if we're not really putting them to use? And so that was the unique angle that I wanted to take in the book, and that is to 
to call on people to put these promises, uh, put them to use in their everyday lives. One of the things about promises that I find difficult, and I'm wondering if other people do as well, just like you said, we read that God promises this and God promises that. And yet when it comes down to really believing that he's going to come through and that we can live them and we can lean on them, that's harder. So how do you help people move it from looking at it and going, yep, God God promises that, God promises that, to really internalizing that and living that out in your daily life? Because I think unless you can do that, you're not going to experience the hope. It's all just going to be in your head, won't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, and that's the challenge is not just being aware that God made certain statements, but believing that he will act upon those. Uh, I, I find that it's helpful uh, to, to encourage people to do three things. Uh, number one, to ponder the promise. Secondly, to proclaim the promise. And then thirdly, to pray the promise and understand that this is a cycle that uh, depending upon the particular challenge that you're facing, you may have to do many, many, many times before it makes a difference. Mm. We had a gentleman, a good friend, a next door neighbor over for dinner a week ago tonight. He's 68. And uh, earlier in the summer, his wife passed away very suddenly and uh, she was 71. And, uh, and poor Jim, uh, he's just torn up, Meg. He just can't get his feet under him. Mm. And he, and, uh, just the nicest man that anybody would ever want to know. But this is, uh, you know, it's just knocked the wind out of him. And obviously it's, it's very understandable. He, uh, he kept saying, you know, I just never imagined, uh, that she would go first. Aww. And, uh, and so he, he, he has this look on his face like, I'll never get over this. I'll just never get over this. And uh, and so in a situation like that, the promise out of Psalm 30 and verse 6 really resonates. Uh, and that, that's the one that says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In a case of someone like Jim, I, I would urge him, and I've had to do this in my life many times, to ponder this promise. Just ponder what that means. Uh, God is acknowledging that we go through times in which weeping comes. So don't be so hard on yourself. Weeping comes. It comes with the night. But don't think for a second that it's going to have the day. It's not going to, live, it's not going to rule the day. And so uh, believe that, that though you're in a season of weeping, this is don't give in to this thought that says it's going to be like this forever. A day is coming in which this shadow is going to lift. And so ponder that, you know, and think about it. Now write it on an index card. Uh, put it on your bathroom mirror. Uh, read it while you're shaving. Do, do whatever <laughs> it takes to ponder this. And then proclaim it. Proclaim it. And, and, and this is something that some people find a bit odd, but I, I think is important. Uh, you know, the reason we worship is because we want to state out loud our love for God and mm-hmm. declare. And I think we need to declare things. Uh, we say them out loud. Even if it's just you in your car on a commute or maybe you in your backyard uh, walking around saying, okay, joy will come. Joy is coming. Joy is coming. Just just declare it mm-hmm. and uh, and agree with God on this and then pray it. Pray it. Uh, put the Lord in remembrance of the things that he has said. When my daughters 
were young, you know, they might come up to me and say, Dad, you said if we got our homework done on time, then we could go out to the movie or something, you know. <laughs> and they knew that if that if they began a request by saying, you said, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would do it because, I, 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 number one, I said it. But number yeah. two, I want them to trust their father. Well, how much more will our heavenly father not be quick to rejoice when he knows we know his promises and we're standing on those promises. So I think to answer your question, those three words are are things that people can put together, ponder, uh, proclaim, and pray. Just just do them over and over. And I think that, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, when you ponder and then you, you pray them, and you see them and you write scriptures all around your house and post them, it, it, it changes. It, you know, it's like Paul said, set your mind on things above. That's mm-hmm. what you're doing as you're looking at it over and over and over. And I think that's so critical in being able to grab on to the hope. In your book, Unshakable Hope, you touch on some real issues that people face. You talk about fear, feeling out of control, seeing dark clouds on the horizon. And there's a beautiful passage. I'm just shortening a little where you write, could you use some unshakable hope? If so, you're not alone. We live in a day of despair. The suicide rate in America has increased 24% since 1999. We've never been more educated. We have tools of technology. We're saturated with entertainment and recreation. Yet more people than ever are orchestrating their own deaths. How could this be? And one of the things you follow up on is you point to secularism as draining hope from our society, how does it drain hope? Well, um, by the way, I'd love to, I'm real curious what you, you know, as one who works with people and helps people deal with issues all the time, what you think might be the reason for that statistic, which I think has to be an, such an alarming statistic. It's, it's like an epidemic. It is. And I will tell you, just regressing a little bit, um, <laughs> that's exactly right. I've been at this a while, you know, since the late 1980s, and it's a different day today. The the problems and issues I see with not just teenagers, but younger kids, particularly uh, depression and anxiety, it's so prevalent, and there is very much a sense of hope, and um, that's why I'm grateful, you know, I practice in a a practice where... um, you know, we're, I'm allowed to talk to people about God and Christ and say, you know, what do you think? Because you're despondent. You're in despair right now. Um, because, you know, we can give them counseling. We can give them medication. Um, but really, and unless they have something deeper to mm-hmm. grasp onto and to propel them forward and to pull them out of this incredible darkness, mm-hmm. it's really hard. And what I see is the farther you get away from God, the deeper your despair can be. That's my point exactly, Meg. That's my point exactly. And when I say secularization, I talk. Uh, I mean taking God out of the public conversation, mm-hmm. uh, removing God from the marketplace, uh, making it either uh, illegal uh, or at least a violation of protocol to talk about God uh, in at work uh, or in a school, and so I, 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 I part of me is is not surprised uh, that that we're seeing such a spike 
uh, in uh, anxiety, depression, and attempts at suicide, discussions of suicide, or successful suicides. Part of me is not surprised at that because if if you if you remove the discussion of God from the public conversation, then what are school counselors telling kids, and mm-hmm. uh, and and what are coaches uh, telling kids, and what are uh, pediatricians uh, telling parents to tell kids, or parents telling kids, and then in addition. Uh, if you have a, a generation of of parents who are ill-equipped to help their children process things. But I've got to be real careful, too, and say, I realize this topic of suicide, it, it, it is a deep and, and complex one. And so uh, uh, there, there are many, many issues uh, that we I think we're just learning, don't you? I, I mean, oh, yeah. the impact of social media on our young people. Uh, the, the You talk about placing kids as sitting ducks in the world of comparison yeah. and bullying, this social media thing, I think is something that uh, there was absolutely nothing like it when I was young. Right. There was nothing like it when I was raising my kids. You right. know, they all went through high school without a cell phone. And I'm so grateful because, mm-hmm. but cell, fo- cell phones weren't around. And, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the rise in suicide and depression is multifactorial. There, there are a lot of reasons and they all kind of come together as the perfect storm. But one thing we do know, and the research is showing this, that social media, particularly for girls, does lead to depression. Um, and there are many reasons. And yet kids are really addicted. Girls are addicted to checking their phones and checking their phones and how many likes did they have. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's empty. And they know it's empty, but they can't give it up. And I think if you spend that much time doing empty things, you will feel empty. Hence, you will become depressed. So it, it's really concerning. That's a quote right there. If yeah. if you spend your life doing empty things, you're going to feel empty. You'll feel empty. Yeah. And, and, and there's this just general dissatisfaction of uh, of 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 life uh, that that I think is pervasive. And and so if we can somehow. Uh, you know, if we could somehow download a, a fresh, I don't know, downpour of hope into people. Uh, and, and this is going to sound expected that a pastor would say this, but I, I just down in my heart of hearts believe that Jesus brings hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't on social media as a kid. Yeah. I'm not sure they had invented the wheel when I was a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was a very heavy drinker. I was a serious partier. Mm-hmm. I was disrespectful of women. I was uh, I was just a rambunctious, rough and rowdy kind of guy. But I was so empty. I was so empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the age of nineteen, I just was despondent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, if, if the only days I was happy was Friday and Saturday, and that's because we could go out and party Friday and Saturday night. Mm-hmm. But I was then unhappy. I was just a bum from Sunday through. Uh, until I found Christ, or better said, until Christ found me, until mm-hmm. I believed that he could forgive me of my sins, until I believed that he rose from the dead. And then because of that, believe that everything else he says is true about mm-hmm. heaven, about eternal life, about the value of life. It just, my, my world got flipped. It got turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just think it gave, I got hope. I found hope. Right. And, and having been in such a dark place and then having that hope makes you appreciate it so much more and that's what i hope for so many teenagers that i see that literally 
kind of look at me and they're not sure if anybody loves them, if anybody cares, and if anybody hears them, because parents are just so busy doing, doing, you know, whatever they're doing. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Max Lucado. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Max Lucado. Parents, you should not have to choose between healthy and convenient meals, even when things get hectic. Sunbasket offers easy-to-follow recipes, including super speedy meals that take just 10 or 15 minutes to get on the table, along with everything you need to prepare them. Everything is delivered directly to your door each week, so you can put healthy on autopilot this season. Friends, you know I love Sun Basket Meals. When that package comes to my door, I know I'm set for awesome meals for the next three days. I pull out the packages, I saute the meats or bake them in the oven, and within 30 minutes, I've always got a great, delicious meal on the table. Sun Basket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals the whole family will love. Just go to the Sun Basket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. There are paleo, gluten-free, lean and clean, vegan, Mediterranean, quick and easy options, and more. With Sun Basket, you can get a healthy and delicious meal in as little as 15 minutes. And because everything is pre-measured, easy to prep, and easy to clean, your little ones might even help you in the kitchen. Go to sunbasket.com slash Meg today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash Meg to get $35 off your order today. sunbasket.com slash Meg. Using millions of real women's measurements, 3rd Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. Just answer a few simple questions from 3rd Love's Fit Finder quiz to find your perfect fit. 3rd Love offers double the number of sizes that most brands offer. Cups A through H, bands up to 48. And with lightweight memory foam cups, straps that won't slip, and tagless labels, you'll want to wear these soft and breathable bras and underwear every day, especially the new cotton t-shirt bras and underwear. But thanks to the 100% fit guarantee, returns and exchanges are free and easy. Friends, I love Third Love bras. They're comfortable. They don't scratch or itch. They don't slip. And the truth is, you don't even know you're wearing one. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Meg now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Meg for 15% off today. You know, many adults and teens are struggling with a sense of value, a sense of purpose, and their identity. Um, in one of your chapters, you talk about being stamped with the image of God. Now, many of us can say that, but we don't really know what that means in our day-to-day lives. Because I wonder, you know, like with, like, with, with the promises of God, 
sometimes it feels like it hasn't gotten to our, our hearts. How do we move the belief that we are made in the image of God into our hearts so that we really can understand that we have value because we're alive, we have purpose because God made us and he doesn't make mistakes, and that our identity is wrapped up in the in the person of Christ. How do you get people to really feel that and live it? I, I think uh, one, one important step in doing this is learning to differentiate between uh, faith and emotions. Uh, you know, emotions are not very trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we only did what we feel like doing, none of us would do very much. Right. right? right. <laughs> you might not be on the broadcast today. Right. <laughs> not, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but, but our feelings, uh, somewhere along the line, we've got to understand that our emotions are not trustworthy. But we've got to find then a source of truth. If our emotions are not the source of truth, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling, uh, un- devalued today, does that mean I truly am devalued? Right. Or if I'm feeling sad today, does that really mean that my life is going off the rails? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm feeling angry today, does that really mean that the world is against me? Uh, tip, many people never quite learn to say, wait a second, I'm not going to trust my emotions today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just not. I'm not going to give in to that. And I know that I feel kind of blue, but hey, that's not the truth. The truth is and then we were able to say what the truth is. So the promises of God, I think, give us the truth. They tell us the truth. And especially when it comes to our understanding of our own personal value. Because uh, to, to, to look at uh, society, you're only as valuable as the car you drive right. or the number of six-packs you have in the refrigerator or the six-packs on your abs or the uh, girlfriend or the boyfriend or who you're sleeping with or mm-hmm. how much money's in the bank. And so there's this huge, huge lie that it requires all hands on deck to go against. I mean, a full court press. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't just say, okay, that's probably not true. You've got to really say, okay, I'm not buying into that and make a deliberate decision. You, you pointed out uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, teaching on meditate on these things, mm-hmm. you know, and that's in the context of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason he told us to meditate on good things is because it's not enough to take out the bad things. You got to fill your mind with good things. And so, uh, uh, in, in this case, dealing with insecurity or issues of, of, uh, inferiority or not understanding how valuable you are, you've got to camp on a passage like Genesis 1 26. God said, let us create mankind in our image Mm -hmm. and allow that. You ponder it, you proclaim it, and you pray it. You ponder it and say, okay, Lord, today I don't feel like I'm created in your image, but I believe that you know more about me than I do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to behave today like that is true. Mm -hmm. And then you proclaim it and you pray it and you begin to let it saturate your heart. But I really think, Meg, something as important as our identity our, our value, our self-worth, it, it requires all hands on deck. You've got to read good stuff. You've got to listen to good music. You've got to turn some music off. And in some cases, you've got to change your peer groups. Mm-hmm. You can't run around with the same crowd you used to. Uh, so you've got, you got to get yourself a strategy uh, and, and, and implement that strategy. You know, that goes for kids and adults, changing peer groups. 
because um, it's very interesting. Several years ago, I was driving my son back to college and we were just chatting and he said, so what are you doing tonight, mom? I said, well, I'm going to go talk to some parents, you know, about raising teens. And he said, "Um, what are you going to say? And I put it back on him and I said, what should I say? And he said, oh, well, that's really easy. (laughs) You know, as a 20 year old (laughs) kid would say. And I said, well, tell me what you say. He said, well, um, tell tell him two things. He said, tell him to behave. Um, he said, because a lot of the parents act, try to act younger than, than the kids do and make sure they have good friends. Hmm. And I said, make sure they have good friends. And he said, yeah. He said, I always felt so good that you and dad had friends who thought just like you did because it made me more confident in what you were saying to me. And it made me think you were a little less crazy, Isn't you know, that interesting? so, it, yeah. but, but how how important it is even for kids to see their parents with healthy peers. And sometimes parents need to say, wait a minute, you know, if I want to stay married and all of my friends are divorced, yeah, I better go find yeah. some married people who are going to yeah. show me how to do this right. And, and um, because it changes your perspective so very much. Um, you talk about prayer in the book and you talk about Elijah, who's one of my favorite people and how, God answered his prayers. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. And then he prayed it would rain, so it did. Um, you know, and Scripture tells us pray without ceasing. But I think sometimes people give up because they've lost hope because they feel either God doesn't hear them or he doesn't care or that he really won't come through for them. What What would you say to people who feel like that? I think... Uh the story in the Bible that to me really speaks to that is a story of a, a man who came to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his son. Uh, really, his request was, would you come home with me and heal my son? Now, the problem was uh, Jesus was in a town called Cana, and the man was from Capernaum, mm-hmm. and it was a 20-mile walk, a 20-mile walk. And so Jesus said, uh, go home, your son well, is well, uh, your faith has healed you. Uh, forgive my paraphrase of the verse. Uh, I know I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to know that. But anyway. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so, and so the, man's, the, I, I, the man wanted Jesus to come home with him. That was his prayer request. Mm-hmm. I want the physical Jesus in Capernaum, reaching down, looking into the face of my sick son and healing him. Jesus said, well, I tell you what, you go home and you're going to find out that your son is healed. Mm. And I'm thinking, Meg, that that walk from uh, Cana to Capernaum was a long walk. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm yes. thinking that's a long walk. I'm thinking that dad's thinking, hmm, can I count on him? Is he going to prove faithful? I'm wondering how many times he thought maybe I ought to go back and try to commit. But he, to his credit, he made the walk. Yeah. And, and and when I when I feel like I'm in a season of unanswered prayer, um, then I, I try to think about that guy. Actually, his prayer was answered. He just didn't know it yet. Yeah. And and so I'm thinking that many times we feel like our prayers are unanswered, but really they are. Uh, we just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 they're not answered maybe in the way we requested them. But I think most people would say, and it, it, you know, it turned out to be better than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so our task during those between Cana and Capernaum in those 20 mile hikes, 
that feel like forever. Well, all we could do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, get out of bed, love our wife, love our son, wife, husband, uh, take care of our kids, show up at the hospital, show up at work. I mean, that that's that's being a disciple, I think. It, it's just, okay, I'm going to believe. Uh, somebody once told me, behave how would you behave if the prayer was answered? Mm. Faith says, behave like the prayer has been answered. Right. And, uh, and, and what he was trying to tell me is just go ahead and trust. Just go ahead and trust. Right. Um, and so I, I did, the reason that the story's on my heart is because uh, not long ago I did a sermon on that passage. And I had everybody in the church. I said, raise your hand if you're somewhere between Cana and Capernaum. Uh-huh. Every hand went up. Sure, sure. <laughs> we're, we're all we're all waiting on God to answer a prayer. Right. And he, it, I think the message of that story is, well, in a way, I've already answered it. Just yeah. keep moving toward it. Well, and to me, you know, my Cana to Capernaum is, you know, Lazarus dying. Yeah. To me, that felt so mean that Jesus yeah. allowed um you know, Mary to go through that and said, nope, yeah. nope, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I'll get there when yeah. I get there, <laughs> you know, or even the way I, I'll never forget. I was in Florence, Italy, and I saw a magnificent um, picture of Mary. And I don't know who the other woman was holding Jesus's body after he just got off the cross and the look on their face was beyond despair. And I think part of them must have thought, this isn't real. This, this, yeah. you know, what has God done? I mean, talk about unanswered prayer. Um, yeah. what was the past 33 years? Did, did I just live a lie? And yeah. where are you? Mm-hmm. And yet God let them wait a few days and then Christ rose from the dead. But that's a long three days. Yeah. And I, you know, and sometimes, you know, God answers very differently than we think he is. And it, at times it may seem like he's doing something kind of mean, like telling the guy to go back to Capernaum, not going with him. Mm-hmm. And yet what he gives in the end is so much greater mm-hmm. than we would have had had he done it in our timing. And, you know, he has the right to do that, doesn't he? I mean, he... he uh he has complete authority, and I, I think from his perspective, uh, knowing what he knows, then uh, sometimes it's difficult. But to offer the prayer, uh, whatever you say, Lord, that that's yeah, that I trust you. I trust, I trust you. you. You know, um, I've been having conversations recently with people about the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was God, and. Um, and you write about this, you know, wrapping our minds around the fact that Jesus was fully man and fully God, that's tough for people. And then you throw in the fact that the Holy Spirit is in there with them too. And you can really get kind of twisted up. Um, there are some religions that say only God was God and Jesus was great and smart and a nice prophet and the Holy Spirit is good and great, but they're separate from God how do you respond to people who say, "I that's heretical, it's not right, right to say to God that there's other people with him or other spirits, I guess. And um, yeah, how, and how do you respond to that, the question of the Trinity? Well, yeah, we, we've all understood, right, that the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and um, that's okay. But the concept of the Trinity is um, 
the the image of Jesus being baptized, you know, we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, all cooperating uh, toward toward one event, toward one goal. Uh, and I I I think um, I think that the difficulty may lie in imposing our preconceptions on God. I, I was reading just last night uh, an interview with a skeptic. He called himself a skeptic, and and uh, he just could not believe in God because he didn't believe God would do what God has done. And the questioner, the one person asking him, said, "But do we have the right to tell God, you know, who how to how to act? If we if we can do that, then God's not very big, is he?" Right. And uh, and I think when it comes to understanding the the relationship uh, and coexistence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's to me, it's a beautiful thing that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've I've never quite struggled on that. I had more trouble thinking that God could forgive a jerk like me of all my <laughs> sins than than to believe that the the Holy Spirit, uh, that the Son and the Father could coexist in one. Mm-hmm. I understand too that they seem to have distinctive roles, but also they overlap enough to help me and see that it's not really that tidy. Uh, and doesn't have to be, uh, but I, I, I think the picture of the Trinity does something for us. It, it one thing it does is it encourages me to live in community, because even if God lives in community, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that He is actually a community of beings, one being expressed in three three expressions. Mm-hmm. How much more then do I need community? I I, I, I need a wife. In my case, I need a wife. Uh, I need friends. Uh, I need people to encourage me. I need people to hold me accountable. And so if if I indeed am made in the image of God, then that tells me that I need other humans mm-hmm. uh, and I need God. And so there's a lot of messages, I guess is what I'm saying, that can come to us from trying to understand the Trinity. It is just an incredible mystery. And I'm a pretty simple-minded person, so I just believe it. That's the way I am, Meg. And I've really been okay with that. I'm a little bewildered when someone says, I really, I'm not going to believe it until I understand it all. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many things I don't understand, but I still believe. So I'm with you. I, I just, I'm just going to believe that. Yeah. Well, Max, we're, we have to wind down our podcast, but I, I do want to... Um, just briefly touch on one chapter you have. We we talked about it a little bit. It's called Joy is Coming. And I know that there are listeners who are listening to this right now who are struggling with loneliness. Um, they may feel isolated. They may have depression. And they may be in that dark place where they believe, because that's what depression tells you, is that you'll never feel joy in the future. What would you say to that person right now? I think two or three promises really come to play in seasons like that. Uh, one, one is that uh, a promise where the Lord says, uh, I am with you always, mm-hmm. even to the end of the age. Uh, no one likes to feel alone. Sometimes we want to be alone, and especially parents of small children really mm-hmm. like being alone. Right. <laughs> but we don't like feeling alone. We don't like feeling that nobody's uh, there to help us. And we're all alone with our, our challenges and struggles. And so uh, it's such a beautiful thought to think that God is with us right now. And that I would say that to somebody who feels that they're 
right on the brink of despair, right on the edge of depression, I would say, you know, don't buy into that lie that says that you're all by yourself. You're really not. Uh, that God is with you and and uh, try him out. And to the person who's cynical or skeptic and doubtful, I say, that's okay. That's okay. But try him out. Call out to the Lord and ask him for help. And then uh, I, I would truly urge somebody to uh, uh, to take a step, a practical step, to get out of this funk, out of this darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I, if I find myself in a, a rain cloud, I open up an umbrella. Mm-hmm. If I find myself in dark, in a dark night, I'll flip on a light or light a candle. Mm-hmm. I know that if I've got to do something, I've got to take a practical step in the right direction. And so what is something practical you can do that can help you step in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Another thing uh, is that I, I hope, I hope, uh, People don't feel bad about seeking professional help, mm-hmm. uh, about going to a counselor or to a physician. I hope people don't feel bad if, if prescribed to take some medication mm-hmm. uh, to help them get you know, chemically balanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you have forgotten more about that world than I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I do run across enough Christians who feel guilty right. if they're taking some medication that I feel like it's good every so often to say, Hey, it's okay. It is just yeah. like sometimes your broken arm needs a cast. Exactly. Uh, sometimes our brain needs to be reset. Yes, and there is physiology behind depression. We can actually see it on, uh, mm. you know, X-ray scans. Well, this has just been wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to talk to you, Max. The book is Unshakable Hope. And, you know, you have a way of writing that is just so straightforward and so warm and so practical that, you know, the book is one that people can actually read and go, oh, aha, I get it. I get it. And that's what happened to me, you know, in every chapter you go, wow, okay, I get it now. So thank you so much for being with me. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. Thank you, Meg. It's a great privilege. And thanks for all you do. And uh, all the very best to you. Thank you. Points to ponder. One, what do you really think about God? You know, many of us say that we believe in God, but the truth is we feel that he's distant, maybe floating in the clouds somewhere, looking down at us with a long, white, flowing beard. We see him as a being who's always waiting to wrap us on the head because he caught us doing something bad. And there are others that still that don't believe that God exists. They believe that we all have a spiritual bent, but when it comes to putting specific qualities and character to that bent, they have trouble with details. Believing in a God who is real, who has a personality, and who speaks to us feels like a stretch to many of us. I strongly encourage each one of us to do some real soul searching after listening to Max Lucado's interview. Here's a scholarly man who really gets that the God of the Bible is good that he loves us with a love we can't even fathom, and a God who is always there for us. Two, grab hold of hope. Humans cannot live without hope. Those who are in abusive situations, who suffer from loneliness, depression, or another illness, need hope to move beyond their struggles. Children need hope, and we forget about this. As parents, we need hope to get through our days to endure sleepless nights and unemployment. 
We need to know that one day things will get better. When we know God, we can be assured that life will get better. Maybe not in this lifetime, but at least in heaven. Some folks say that this is Pollyannish thinking, but it isn't. I'm not saying that life will necessarily get better here on earth, but for those of us who believe that God is real and that Christ came to save us and bring us to heaven, we live with the assurance that heaven will come. And when it does, no illness, no pain, no abuse will ever be part of our lives again. Three, God gave you promises. Max talked about over 7,000 promises that God made to us. Do you have anyone in your life who would do that? Why did God make those promises to us? There can only be one reason. He loves us and will always be with us. God didn't make those promises just to the old men of the Bible like Abraham and King David. He made them to you and to me, us, right here, right now. Do you need someone in your life who says that he'll never leave, who will always be with you in every circumstance in life, who will always love you more than you can imagine? Try God. Start by reading John's gospel, and I promise your life will never be the same. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. Or if you have a question, please send it to AskMeg at MegMeekerMD.com. Today, I have a question from Suzanne. And she writes, hello, Dr. Meeker. Our almost six-year-old daughter is really an amazing girl. However, one of my growing concerns that I'm unsure how to approach is her lack of desire for free play. She's never been one to want to play by herself, but now it seems she always requests to watch TV shows. If we go outside or to an event or have a friend come to play, she'll go along with the activity fine, but if we aren't providing the entertainment, she's not motivated to find fun on her own. Help! Well, Suzanne, your daughter is a normal six-year-old girl. Here's the thing. Children do have difficulty, particularly girls, playing on their own sometimes, and they do often rely on others to entertain them. That said, she doesn't need to rely on screens, television, iPads, whatever, to entertain her. I know it's hard for you to say no to television, but it's really important that you only allow her to have about an hour a day of screen time. The problem is the longer she watches, the longer she's going to want to watch. So no matter when you turn the television off, she's going to groan and moan. So get ready for that. But don't feel guilty. You really need to make sure you minimize her television time. Other things that I would recommend you do is try to find her some activities after school where she can do things with groups. Maybe she can do gymnastics, swim class, take piano lessons, whatever. You know, get her out and get her engaged. Even just a couple of afternoons a week for an hour would be really helpful. I love your idea of having friends over. And again, if she's with friends, make sure she plays and doesn't watch television. Finally, don't worry if she gets bored. It's really important for kids to learn how to live with boredom. The truth is, for you and I, a whole lot of our lives are boring, and we need to teach our kids how to live with a little bit of boredom. You can tell her, honey, I can't play. Your friends aren't free. Go color. Go um, play with your Play-Doh. 
you know, go look at a magazine or, or read through a book, but you need to find something to do on your own. And don't feel guilty if she complains. It's all part of life. Thanks for writing in, Suzanne. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in to me. You can email me any question to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Max Lucado. Check out his website at maxlucado.com. Once again, that's maxlucado.com. He's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Max Lucado on your internet browser. Now let's recap my points to ponder. One, what do you really think about God? Two, grab hold of hope. And three, remember God has given you promises. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Episode 70, Unshakable Hope. And thanks to you, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 2 million downloads. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. As a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. 